Take your Bibles, if you're with me, please, and I'd like you to turn to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. I do have a Father's Day message for us, a little bit of a different message, but I think one will be a blessing, encouragement. 2 Kings 2, while you're doing that, I'd like you to also put your finger or tap 1 Kings 19, because we'll be there on the first point, 1 Kings 19. But for the sake of time, go to 2 Kings 2 first, then 1 Kings 19. 2 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 2. Verse 8, follow as I read in your car or at home by live stream. You can read aloud, please. The Bible says in 2 Kings 2, verse 8, And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. You might say he was raptured. Notice verse 12. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he smote the waters and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also spent the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Verse 12, 11 and 12, Elisha saw once in a lifetime event that he would never see again. He saw his mentor. He saw the closest friend that he had on earth. He saw the man of God, the prophet of heaven, his name Elijah, taken up in a chariot of fire by a whirlwind into heaven. That must have been quite a sight. I mean, that probably would have made something that will make your heart jump out of your chest, leave you speechless, put you in a place where your mind, you'll never forget what you saw. But as quickly as that happened, I mean, within seconds, Elisha made one of the most profound statements of all the Scripture, which is the text for this morning. He said, my father, my father, the chariot of God and the horsemen thereof. 
I want to give you a Father's Day message this morning about the father of Elisha. We're a church, amen? We're the church of the living God. We thank God this morning we have a heavenly father who loves us, who gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He's a father who never gives up on us. This morning, we want to incorporate all the aspects as best we can of what it means to be, to have a father like what Elisha had. I want to challenge our men who are fathers, fathers-to-be. I want to challenge the ladies here today, everyone here today from this passage of Scripture, that God would speak to our hearts and encourage us on this Father's Day about God's goodness to us as a father in heaven. Father, bless our service now. Thank you for our assembly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the years, I've been the pastor here. I've had the privilege of preaching many, many Father's Day messages. I think the first four or five years, I've kind of wondered, man, after you preach about a few things on fathers, how many more do you preach? But the longer you kind of stay at it, the more you realize there's just, there's, there's umpteen number of messages that God could give you and illustrations. And quite honestly, I think if every father here today would be honest, just like I'm trying to be honest with myself today, I think we realize how inadequate we are in being fathers. And we think about as we get older, uh, you know, things we could have done better and things we can improve. And even as we go along the way, we think about even right now of how to be a good father. And we think about our families taking a moment to acknowledge us and things of that nature. I had dinner with my, my children and my wife last night. It was just wonderful time, wonderful time fellowship. And just in my mind, just sitting there thinking about all the things that we enjoyed together and all the things I wish I did a better job at. And I think we all feel that same way. But the Bible tells us over and over again about fathers. We see from beginning with Adam all the way to the end of the Bible, we see something in the Bible about fathers. Fathers have a lot to learn. Fathers have a lot to engage in terms of their relationship. Fathers have a lot of responsibilities that are upon their shoulders. And I don't care how old we are, where we're at, or we're just starting out. We realize being a father is an awesome, awesome responsibility. We want to be encouraged this morning about the father of Elisha. I want to begin this morning, first of all, if you'll pull down your notes, I want you to notice, first of all, the paternal father. The paternal father. And we want to go to 1 Kings 19 for a moment. We want to see the biological paternal father of Elisha. Now, you can only have one biological father. You can only have one paternal father. We want to see this man that brought him into the world and the influence he had in his life. Notice in 1 Kings 19, we read in verse 16 that it says, And Yehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And would you notice this? And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. 1 Kings 19.16 is the very first mention we have of this man by the name of Elisha. Up until then, nothing is said about him. But we're told a lot from verses 16 to 21 about this man, Elisha. We know, first of all, that his father, his name is, his father's name is Shaphat. Shaphat means he who has judged. He comes from a city, a town of, of Issachar, called Abel Mahola. Now, the very fact that the town he came out of or was raised in was out of Issachar lends to us the fact, as you study through Scripture, that most likely Elisha was a descendant of the tribe of Issachar. Now, Issachar, during David's time, they were remarkable men. Read over in First Chronicles that it says that the men of Issachar were men who had understanding of the times. They were wise men. 
they were students. Some would say they were prognosticators. Some would say that they were men who studied the times. They, was, they, were, they were knowledgeable about current events. They were brave men. They were courageous men. They had, they had changed much from the prophecy that Jacob gave to his son Issachar because the, 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 the prophecy that Jacob gave about his son Issachar was not necessarily a very good one. He talked to him about him being very strong. He said he's like a strong donkey that couched between two burdens. In other words, he, he had the strength, but he didn't take advantage of the, uh, of the opportunities God gave him. Now we go a few hundred years later, we find that the men of Issachar are valiant men, they're courageous men, and out of their midst, we find this man by the name of Elisha. Abel Mahola, if you'll notice here, is mentioned maybe only this one time in Scripture. It's a very unknown town, just a small little town. We know it's a farming community, as we'll read later on. But this man, by the name of Shaphat, had a son by the name of Elisha. Now, as we look at Shaphat this morning, I want us to take a moment to look at Shaphat, the paternal father. We don't know if he had any other children. The Bible doesn't make mention of that there. We just know about this one son he had, this one son by the name of Elisha. Notice we see Shaphat's holdings, Shaphat's holdings. Notice we go down a little bit, and we know that God tells Elijah about Elisha. We go down to verse 19, and the first thing we find about Elisha, we don't see him as a baby. We don't see him as an elementary school boy. We don't see him as a college student. We don't even see him perhaps as a young adult. He's an adult man working in the family business. That's important. He's a young man, an adult man, working in the family business. And the Bible says that Elijah departed thence, in verse 19, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. God sent Elijah out to look for Elisha. Elisha was not looking for Elijah. Elijah was looking for him. Now, I'll park on that because i got something to say in a little bit there. But he found him. And the Bible wants us to know that Elisha was the son of Shaphat, and it tells us that Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12. Now we see Shaphat's holdings. Shaphat, as far as we know, was a man that had a substantial family business. The very fact that his son was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, his father had accumulated and saved and was very careful about what he did. I envisioned that this man in his holdings, that he had farm, he had, he had a large farm, he had a lot of land, he had land that was passed down to him. If you know anything about Jewish history, you know anything about the Bible, it was important that land stayed in the family. Your land was supposed to be passed down from generation to generation. You weren't supposed to let your land pass out of your family. You're supposed to leave it for your those who would follow you. And so we notice this man had a substantial land. We know that he had a lot of farm animals. We know that he had successful crops. We know later on in verse, I think it's in verse, um, I think it's in verse 21, it makes mention to us that he had, uh, he had some servants and some other people there. Whatever it was, this man had substantial holdings. He had holdings that eventually his son, his oldest son, Elisha, would take responsibility for. Now, why is that important as a father? Because as a father, the Bible tells us that fathers leave an inheritance for their children. The Bible tells us that fathers are to take interest in their children. They're to invest in them. I see this man, Shaphat, in his holdings, investing in his son, being careful with what he had to be passed down. I'm reminded this morning is a spiritual application. God, our Father, has holdings. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for God's holdings. The Bible says in, in Psalms 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that therein is. Hey, I'm thankful this morning our Heavenly Father owns everything. Amen? He owns the earth. 
He owns the world. He owns you and I. Thank God he owns the mountains. He owns the oceans. He has the clouds in place. He owns the constellations. He owns the universe. Thank God we have a God that knows everything by name. Thank God that he owns everything. He holds the title deed on everything in this world. I'm going to tell you today, corporations don't have a title deed. The largest land magnets in the world don't have the title deed. God owns the title deed of everything in this world. Our God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Thus saith the Lord. And we can be thankful today because of all the holdings of God and the resources he has. That we can be thankful today that there's nothing our God cannot do. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing that he can reach his pocket to do for you and I. I'm just thankful today that we have a heavenly father who has substantial holdings that are accessible to all of his children today. We see the holdings of Shaphat. Notice we see Shaphat's holdings. But second, would you notice Elisha was Shaphat's heir. All of that was going to go to him. I mean, think with me for just a minute. Elisha worked in the family business. From a young child, he learned how to break up the soil, to break up the fallow ground every year, to sow the seed, to nurture the land, to water it, to irrigate it, to prune, to harvest, and on and on and on. He was in the family business. He was an heir. He may have been the only heir as far as we know. And so, regardless if he had siblings, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but reminds me today as we look at this man, he was intricately involved in the family life, in the family affairs. This morning, if you're saved, you're part of the family of God. Give a honk if you believe that this morning, Matt. The Bible says to as many as received him, to, get, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Hey, listen, one of the greatest things that happened for you and I, the moment we got saved, we became an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And I reminded this morning, being an heir of God is a wonderful thing. Consider this this morning. The Bible says that every saved person is an heir of God's grace. Listen to Titus 3.7. It says this, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. James tells us in James 2.5 that every saved person is an heir of God's kingdom. Hebrews 11.7 tells us every saved person is an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.7 that all of us are heirs together the grace of life. Now, this life can be very hard. There are some who do very well. And they may, or they may receive an inheritance that will help them out and others who just have to work their way through. Whatever it may be, I want to tell you, we're on a level playing field with God. All of us are heirs of his grace. All of us are heirs of his kingdom. All of us are heirs of the goodness of God. God passes those things down to us. And you can rejoice this morning when you leave today. You have a heavenly father. The moment he adopted you to his family, he made you an heir of the wonderful things of God. Thank God this morning we see Shaphat's holdings. We see Shaphat's heir. But notice we see Shaphat's honor. Would you notice some things here about Elisha? Notice in this chapter in verse 19, we find him plowing for his dad. We don't have any mention there's any service with him. He's being responsible with the family business. He's being responsible for the crops that they had to sow. We read later on, he, we, show, we see in verse 20 and 21, his filial responsibility, his affection. When God called Elisha to the ministry through Elijah, he said, first thing, he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow thee. He wasn't making excuse. He just said, if that's what God wants, can I at least go home and tell my mom and dad and give them a kiss? 
Let me tell you this morning, God honors children who honor their father and mother. The Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The very basic responsibility of parenting is that we ingrain in our children the importance of reverence, respect, and honor. Honor means to obey, to give deference to, and to show respect. Best thing parents we can do for our kids is helping them to learn to show respect, helping them to learn how to give honor. I hope every young person today took a moment to say Happy Father's Day to your dad. I hope you gave him a card at least or something there, or gave him a hug and say Happy Father's Day, Dad. Listen, we look at this young man, Elisha. He honored his parents in front of Elijah. He honored God in, in God's presence. He honored the family name. He honored the family business. First Kings chapter 19 verse 20 tells us this. After God's call upon him, as I said, he said, I want to go back and I want to see my parents. He wasn't abandoning them, but he wanted to know that he loved them. He wanted to know that he had to follow God and he needed to do the right thing. I'm thankful this morning that he showed himself as a wise son. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 20, a wise son maketh a glad father. I want to challenge young people today. I want to challenge children today. Be a wise son. Be a wise daughter. Wisdom is fearing God. Wisdom is showing deference to mom and dad. Wisdom is showing to them that you love them. Realize that your time with them is very short. Realize there is no perfect father and there is no perfect mother. But God gave you parents exactly for what you needed. And God wants you to rise up to the occasion to be a blessing to them. They brought you in the world. They carried the burdens. They cared for you when you were sick. When you could not do things in your own, they did it for you. The day's coming where you need to turn around and be respectful and loving and kind and gracious and helpful to them. I trust this morning that every young person today would say, thank God today for my father and mother. Thank God today that they've get, God's given me the exact father and mother that God wanted me to have. And he wants you to be a wise son and a wise daughter in that respect. This morning, we see the paternal father. We see Shaphat, his influence, and what he passed down to his son. But I want you to notice a second thing. We see the paternal father. Would you write this down? Number two, we see the prophet father. We see the prophet father. Now, God gave Elisha Shaphat for those most impressionable years of his life. Elisha, until that day Elijah came in his life, just assumed, like every Jewish boy, he would inherit the family business. He would keep on sowing seed. He'd grow the farm a little bit more. He'd gain a little bit more influence. He'd try to buy a little bit more land. He tried to increase his holdings. I mean, that's probably what he had in mind. One day, God sent a prophet of God to him. And long before Elisha even knew it, God had in his mind a young man that represented, demonstrated qualities that were essential for the ministry. May I say to you this morning, God might be working in your heart, sir. God might be working in your heart, ma'am. And God may be telling you, you belong in the ministry. You should be serving God. God has his hand on you. He's given you a, a, just a, an unquenchable desire to read his word. He's placed in your heart the burden to pray. He's put on some young man or older man's heart the preaching of God's word. Whatever it may be, God may have destined in your life that you're supposed to be in the ministry. You're supposed to be serving God. And God told Elijah at a time when Elijah was questioning his own life, God refocused him and says, I want you to go and find Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Elijah was a loner. Up until this passage of scripture, 
It's all about Elijah and nobody else. In fact, he was such a loner, he thought he was the only one left that did not bow or bend his knee to the gods of Baal and Asheroth. Till God said there's 7,000 more that have not bowed their knee. And God helped him to realize his life was bigger than Elijah. Moms and dads, our lives are bigger, and the cause we have in life is bigger than just training our kids to do everything functionally right so they can be independent, so they can succeed, and we need to do those things. But beyond all that, you get them to church, you get them under the Word of God, and you let God speak to their hearts. You let God challenge them that there's a bigger calling in life than mom and papa's calling. That bigger purpose in life is that there's a God in heaven who loves this world. And there's a God in heaven who sees pulpits that need to be filled with preachers and cities who need churches started and pastors that are raised up. And you'll notice here that God calls Elijah that for the next 10 years, Elijah's life would go from being a loner to being spending the remaining 10 years of his life investing his life in the name, in the man, a young man by the name of Elisha. And we see the prophet father here. Now, as we look at this, notice some things that happen here. Go back here with 1 Kings, 1 Kings 19. In verse 19, it says here, So he departed thence, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. God had already pre-qualified Elisha. When Elijah got there, he didn't see a young man sitting around playing on his cell phone. He didn't see a young man there wasting his time. He didn't see a young man there that was rebellious. He saw a young man that showed responsibility. He showed diligence. He showed independence. He showed that he could work. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, which meant he was very experienced, which meant he was a good steward of his dad's resources. I mean, it demonstrated all the right things about this young man. He wasn't wasting his time. He wasn't fooling around. He was just being serious for, in the family business. And when he saw him, it just confirmed in Elisha's heart everything God had already prepared. And as he did so, what you notice this, he was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th, he was at the backside pushing ahead, giving charge, leading it along the way. And the Bible says in the latter part of verse 19, And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Elijah at that moment was telling Elisha, I'm going to be your prophet father. You've had an earthly father, and I'm not replacing him, and I'm not putting him down. In fact, if anything, I'm going to elevate him in the sight of God. But Elijah's, Elijah was telling Elisha, God has placed me into your life to be your spiritual father, to help you, prepare you for the next major step in your life. Notice some things the Bible says about the prophet father, spiritual father. Notice it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul went to the city of Corinth. When he was at Corinth, God used him to win many souls to Christ. Those people during that time Paul was there, that 18 plus months he was there, they felt very spiritually and physically indebted to Paul because he poured his life into them. And then he went away, so he started to plant churches, and word came back to him that some of them, because they hadn't seen him, were doubting his, his relationship to them, and they had all these other influences going on. And he had to remind them, 1 Corinthians 4.15, that he was their spiritual father. Now, let me give you a definition. A spiritual father is a man of spiritual maturity and integrity who influences the Youngest, the, younger, the younger believers in their faith. Listen to what Paul said about Timothy. 
In Philippians 2.22, he said, but you, for, uh, but you know the proof of him, it says, it says that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now, in those old days, they knew something about father-son relationships that in our Western culture, we don't practice. Fathers and sons were best friends. Father and sons hung out together. Father and sons did everything together. From the moment they got up from the rising of the sun until they did all their chores during the day, they came home to have dinner, they spent the entire day working together. They did things together. They were very closely bonded in everything they do. That's why the, the typical land would stay in the family there. Paul was using that as a simile and saying to us this. He said, I want to recommend Timothy to you. And I can tell you why Timothy is the right man to come to Philippi. And I want to tell you why Timothy can help you during your crisis. And I want to tell you why Timothy well represents me. Because he's been with me as a son with the Father. We see in Paul's ministry the two men that he was closest to, the two men that he gives reference to that, that where he was a spiritual father to, was Titus and to Timothy. We see the prophet father. We see now Elijah casting his mantle on Elisha. Symbolically, it said, I'm bringing you under my wings. Symbolically, it was telling Elisha, I'm going to train you in the ministry. You've got to learn all these. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't think Elijah in his wildest imagination knew that's what God wanted him to do. He had to improvise and learn right at that moment. He had to write up, redo his job description. He had to redo his job responsibilities. He had to realize that there were things he had to do now that he did independently. Now he'd be pouring the remaining years of his life into a young man by the name of Elisha. Notice some things about Elisha, the prophet father. Notice some things about this prophet father. Notice, first of all, we see, he, we see Elijah's student. Elisha was Elijah's student. He would spend the remaining ten, the next 10 years studying the life and the ministry of Elijah. Look at verse 22 of chapter 19. Excuse me, verse 21. It says, it says here, um, the latter part of verse 21, then he arose, that is Elisha, he arose, and would you underline these three words? And he went after. He went after Elijah. In other words, the pursuit of his life, the focus of his tension, the studies of his life would be on that man by the name of Elijah. He would be the student of this man. It conveys the idea that he would learn. It conveyed the idea he would learn by walking with him. He would never walk ahead of him. He would learn by not getting ahead of him. He would learn by asking the right questions. He went after him. He had to learn. They had to get all that he could from the life of Elijah with whatever time he had. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that Elijah knew how many years he had with Elijah or vice versa. But I think embedded in both men's hearts with the fact whether it's one year or many years, he had to learn everything he could. Can I tell you something this morning? You know why it's important to go to church? You know why it's important to read your Bible? You know why it's important to be a part of a Bible study? You know why it's important to listen and not to talk so much? Because we need to learn everything we can. We need to assimilate everything we can because we never know when that big moment may come when the crisis may come or the bottom may pull out from us, we need to realize that everything God gives us up until this moment in time is exactly what we need to get us to the next moment. And you never know what God's going to do in your life that's going to be substantial and great. And Elisha had to realize that at that moment in time that he had to, he had to give his utmost attention in going after this man. You see, Elisha was not looking for Elijah. Elijah was looking for Elisha. Pastors are looking for men who will serve God, men who invest themselves in the ministry, men who will get committed to serving God, 
Men who will fill the call of God and serve in starting churches with their pastor, being pastors and evangelists and missionaries. Listen, as we consider Elisha, I read 1 Kings 19, and I see a man of great ability. He knew how to work. He knew how to plow. He knew how to plan. He knew how to organize. He was prudent. But I want to tell you something. Listen, listen. God did not call Elisha to the ministry because of his ability. God called Elisha to the ministry because of his availability. And I want to remind you this morning, it doesn't matter what your ability is and how smart you are, how talented you are. If you're not making yourself available, God cannot use you. God called him because he was available. It takes time to learn the ministry, man. It takes time to learn how to let God hone you in the fires and the furnaces of his, of his making. It takes time. It takes trials. It takes humiliation. It takes learning that it's not your personality that gets in the way, it's the Spirit of God. When you're young and talented, we have this idea that we know everything. We can solve all the world's problems. But the longer you stay at it, the more you realize you're not that talented. You're not that smart and you're not that wise. And the longer you stay at it, you realize you're, you don't solve anybody's problems. God solves them. Amen? And learning the ministry means this. Learning the ministry means this, and this is what God's trying to teach us this morning about Elijah's student. We need to learn how to serve. We need to learn how to be corrected. We need to learn how to be humble. We need to learn how to really pray. We need to learn how to get God's power. We need to learn how to love people. We need to learn how to receive and learn how to give. We need to learn that there's a lot to learn in life. We see Elijah's student. Notice we see Elijah's servant. Not only did Elisha study Elijah, but get this to this this morning. He served Elijah. He was his servant. Now that, that cuts beneath most of us because we don't like the idea of being under somebody else. We don't want to, we want to be our own boss. We want to be our own entrepreneur. But this man, Elisha, Realize he was a servant. Notice some things. 1 Kings 19.22 says, He ministered to him. It didn't say he came to take his place. It didn't say he came to be his spokesman. It didn't say he came to embarrass him. It said he came to serve him. Ministry is about serving with your pastor. Serving with the men of the church. Serving the ladies of the church and children of the church. The Bible says he served. Then later on, here's the reputation. Eli, uh, later on, people, King Jehoshaphat was asking about, is there a man of God around? And this is what they said in 2 Kings 3.11. They said, yes, there is. There's a man by the name of Elisha. And notice the most important title on his resume. The most important title on his resume was that he was a servant. It says, Elisha who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was a servant.
He followed him wherever he was allowed to go. From 1 Kings 19 until we get to 2 Kings 2, we don't read anything about Elisha. We have this gap of time. Nothing said. I think there's a reason why nothing's said. You learn the most by learning in secret, learning in private, learning by asking questions, learning outside the public eye. God had a time that he would reveal Elisha to the people of God. But until such time, Elisha's goal, his ministry focus, his primary responsibility was to serve. He was to pour water on the hands of this man. So we see this man, Elisha, as he's learning the ministry. He's learning that it, whatever time it took, he would spend his time at it. You know, we live in a day and time. People want to rush things. We have a timeline we want to be under. How long is it going to take before I do this? How long is it going to take before I do that? Can I get a promotion to this, promotion to that? And that's all good in the secular world, but it doesn't work like that in God's business. In God's business, God has his time. God has his way. When God says it's time, it's time. When God doesn't say it's time, we're not to go ahead of God or, or, or to, uh, to, to subvert God. We're to follow the Lord. It took whatever time necessary to get this man ready. God decided it would take 10 years to get Elisha ready. Elisha had to serve and study in the ministry for that time. Hey, I want to remind you today about the Apostle Paul. When we read about Paul, we read about three years that he was in Arabia. Those were three silent years, but he was a student there. He was a student learning the ministry. He was a student learning how to pray. He was a student learning how to get along with God. The things that made Paul the man he was were things that he learned there in those three years. He was separate from everybody else in Arabia. The Bible doesn't tell us what he did there, and there's a reason why. The secret is still the same. You must go in hiding. You must find your prayer place. You must get along with God. You must learn individually how to get God's power. You must learn individually how to get a message from God. You must learn individually what it means to serve God. During the time alone, God breaks your heart. God teaches you to love people. I'm just saying today, we see Elijah's student. We see Elijah's servant. Notice we see Elijah's symbol. The great symbol of Elijah was his mantle. More is mentioned about the mantle related to Elijah than anywhere else in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word mantle is used maybe 12 or 13 times. It referred to the hairy garment that, that Esau wore. It's said over in the book of Zechariah, I think Zechariah chapter, chapter 13 or so, it speaks about that being the glory. But the mantle, if you would, was a cloak. It was a nicely woven coat that the man of God wore over his shoulder. The most important possession that Elijah had in his life was that mantle. And that mantle was a symbol that he was the prophet of God. It was a symbol that God trusted him with authority. God trusted him with power. God trusted him to do miracles. God trusted him to do things. God gave that mantle. But one day, he came to Elisha's home, and he cast it temporarily on that young man's shoulders and telling him, one day, the most important thing I have in this life is going to be yours. The most important thing you need to receive is this mantle. Then he took the mantle back. And for those next 10 years, Elisha soaked up everything thing he learned. He had to realize what that symbol indicated. He had to learn the power behind that symbol. He had to learn the respect behind that symbol. He had to learn the responsibility behind that symbol. He had to learn how God deals with his man through that symbol of the mantle. Then the day came, if you'll go with me to 2 Kings. Go with me to 2 Kings, please. In 2 Kings... Chapter 2, verses one, starting verse 1. Verses 1 to 7. 
Elisha was given his final test, his final exam day. I call it the test of the journey. The test of the journey. Can you make it? And he went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho, ultimately to Jordan. Literally, they were just walking in a circuit. They had no purpose except it was a test for Elisha concerning the journey. And as he got to, he left Gilgal, he said, Elisha, you stay here. I need to go on. He wanted to see if he had what it takes to keep going. And Elisha said this, as the Lord God liveth, and he knew God was not going to die. God's alive. Amen. He says, the Lord God liveth. I will not leave thee nor depart from thee. And he stayed with him. He went from Gilgal to Bethel. At Bethel, there was a school of prophets there. The prophet, you might call that a liberal school of theology. The school of the prophets of Bethel was right next, right next to where they had the golden calf worship. These men that were there, you, had to really, you really had to just test them in their doctrine. And they started messing with Elisha's head because they were jealous of the fact that this was the man that would replace Elijah. But he said, as Elijah was there, he said, you stay here and I'm going to leave you. And he said this, no, my friends may be here and my peers may be here and their theology might be different, but I'm staying with you, man of God. I'm going with you all the way. And so they left Gilgal. They left Bethel, and then they came to Jericho. It was during Elijah's time that Jericho was rebuilt. God put a curse on the rebuilding of Jericho. And for whatever reason, Jericho was rebuilt. And as it got rebuilt, interesting enough, there was a school of prophets there as well. I'm not sure of this school of prophets, that they really had good influence there, but whatever it may be, they too came to Elijah. Elisha and started messing with his head. And there again at, the, at, the, at Jericho, Elisha was asked, you stay here, I'm going to go on. And, go, and then Elisha said, no, I'm going to keep going with you. I'm not going to stay here. Well, finally, they got to the Jordan River. And Lord, and at that moment in time, you can imagine, Elisha's just saying, you know, I don't know how many times he's going to keep asking me this, but no matter what it is, I'm staying with them on the journey. I'm completing the journey until God tells me not to. Not, tells me not to. They came to the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River symbolically was a place where great miracles occurred. That was a place of the crossing where, where, where uh, Joshua led the children of Israel, they crossed dry shot. And here again would be the place of a great miracle. At that moment in time, watch this. Elijah stops. He removes that mantle. He rolls it up. And as he goes over to the waters of the Jordan River, which may have been overflowing at the time, he smites the waters. In other words, he hits the waters. He splashes the water. And as he does so, and another, a great miracle occurred. A miracle that only jo Joshua and the men and women alive at that time saw. They saw the waters part hither and thither. In other words, the waters parted apart and the land became dry. That riverbed became very dry and it was a long distance to walk through. There's no way they could wade through it. You'd have to swim across it if you could make it. And if you could swim across it, you'd probably get carried downstream towards the, towards the Dead Sea because the current, especially as the water was running down from the mountainside after the snow would melt, would be very strong. They didn't have to do that. The waters parted hither and thither. And there at that moment of time, Elisha saw another demonstration of the power of God. He saw the fire come down. He saw Elijah deal with Ahab. He saw God deal with, Ahab, with Elijah's um, enemies. But now he saw another great miracle. He saw the waters part hither and thither. And he says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go across that water. Notice in 2 Kings. Verse 8 says, Elijah took his mantle. 
and he wrapped it together and smote the waters. After he did so, he took that mantle, if you can imagine this in your mind, he shook it to get the water off. He shook it again. He draped his shoulders with that mantle for the very last time. He knew it was his last time. Elisha knew that mantle would one day be the symbol of his calling, of his authority. That would be his property. And as Elijah goes up, notice in 2 Kings, he's taken up, and verse 13 tells us, he that is Elisha, took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. Elijah did not give him any money. Elijah couldn't give him any land. Elisha told his mother and father, God's called me. And to demonstrate his calling, he took one of the yoke of oxen, the threshing instruments, and the yoke. He burned it gathered everyone together that was on the farm. He celebrated that moment with them. And he was lovingly telling his family, God's called me to a bigger business. I've got a higher calling. He was never going back to receive that inheritance from his father. He would never go back to get that land. To go back and earn his fortune through the family business. He learned that the greatest possession he would have would be the moment that God decided it was time for him to become the prophet of God, to receive that mantle. Elijah had a student. Elijah had a servant. Elijah had a symbol. But notice, Elijah had a successor. And we see something amazingly happen. As they parted, the, they, they parted over to the Jordan, the other side of the Jordan River, Elijah turned to Elisha. He said, ask me what I can do for you. What is the most important thing I can do for you? And Elijah made a statement, one of two statements, that indicated he became the prophet's son. He said, would you grant me a double portion of thy spirit. He asked what the eldest son of a family would ask of his father. Father, I'm ready to receive the double portion of my inheritance because the oldest son got double of whatever anybody else got. He got the double portion. And he said to Elijah, the most important thing I could have is that spirit that rests upon you that power that you have. Can I have a double portion of that? On one note, Elijah was happy. That's what he asked for. On another note, Elijah had lived all those years, 40, 50 years, serving God, and the power that God gave him. And he said to Elijah, you have asked a hard thing. He said, you've asked for something very difficult. I want to tell every man here today, especially young men, getting God's power is not easy street. Getting the anointing of God in your life 
is not a walk in the park. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And Elijah told Elisha, nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it will be given to thee. And Elisha, who kept his eyes riveted all that time anyway on Elijah, who always made sure he walked with him or behind him, never ahead of him. He said, I can do that. And the Bible records here, whatever time it was, the sweetness of fellowship they both had. You know, when we reassemble as a church next week, we're going to have sweet fellowship, amen? We're going to get around together. We're going to have sweet fellowship again. And they just walked, the Bible says, and they talked. You said, what could that old man and the young man talk about? They talked about Jesus. You listen, you talk about Jesus, you never run out of things to say, amen? You talk about the Bible, you never have run out of things to say. You talk about answered prayer, you never run out of things to say. And as they were talking, and they were comfortable, and Elisha did not expect, but he kept his eyes on the prophet. The chariot of fire came down. Elijah was taken into it. And he was whisked up into heaven. Watch this. And Elijah, all bug-eyed. His eyes as big as large coins. As big as saucers. Saw the miracle of his mentor. Of his prophet. Of the man of God. The equivalent of being raptured up into heaven. Fast enough. The God got him out of this atmosphere. But slow enough, Elisha could see. And when Elisha saw it, his eyes riveted on that man as they were talking and walking. Watch this. He watches him go up. He's looking up in the sky like those disciples did when Jesus ascended to heaven. He's watched this phenomenal sight. And they're just in those, the quickness of those seconds. Incredible thoughts were passing through his mind. Listen to what he said in verse 12. He said, my father, my father, he proclaimed, the one who mentored me, the one who had the greatest influence in my life for Christ, my father, he felt the loss more than anybody else. He felt the parting of the ways in the sense that the man of God was taken up. His mentor, his spiritual father was taken up. And he said, my father, my father. And he declared to him, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He said, I have a loss. The nation has a loss. Our power as a nation has gone up. You are the chariot of God and you are the, you are the, you are the whirlwind of fire. You represent the, the horsemen thereof. You represent all the power of God. He felt at that moment the greatness of that loss. And you can imagine as he looked up and he saw Elijah no more. His thoughts started to settle. And even though the Bible doesn't say that he wept and he cried, I have to imagine there were tears in his eyes for those moments. His heart was throbbing. Notice verse 12. It says he saw him no more. The physical presence was gone. But now the awesomeness of responsibility. A few years ago, my father passed away. And I was thinking about this the other day. I thought about our closeness. My mind even went back to those 
uh, my, my maternal mother's funeral when I was just three or four years old. Watch my dad weep over her at the coffin. I thought about those days we rode in the car together as he drove me to school, talked to me. I thought about working in the family business. I thought about those times my dad was, who could be stern, very stern, had to be really rough on me on some things. I thought about my dad keeping his nose honest. I thought about all those things, the sacrifices he made. I thought about those things, and I thought about that day, that Sunday morning when I got a phone call. The nurse said, Mr. Fong, we came into your dad's room about an hour ago. It was 4.45 in the morning. I got the call. They said, we went in there. Your father has passed his life. I'm so sorry. And I was stunned. I was thankful that a year and a half before, a month before he had his stroke, I sat down with him. We had a bowl of one-ton noodles and made sure dad was saved. I was thankful that he had cognizance of mind and the ability that he made sure he got, that he was saved and going to heaven. And I thought about the night before, my family and I were there with him at the hospital bed. Dad showed cognizance and recognizes, and just there was something, there was a glitter in his eye, just knew something was different. I think he knew as his time was up. And I reminded him Jesus was his Savior, and he was going home to be with God. I didn't expect it to be that next morning. And I can imagine that that throb in Elisha's heart was the same throb I carried at that moment of time. And he looked, the Bible says in verse 12, he parted his clothes into two pieces. And would you notice verse 13? Did you notice verse 13? So Elijah went up. Elijah didn't need that mantle in heaven. He had God's power. That mantle fell off his shoulders. Stayed here on earth. It dropped right by the side of Elisha. And Elisha saw that mantle. And his mind went back ten years before. When the man of God put that mantle on his shoulders. And he knew symbolically that day his life would change. And the Bible says in verse 13, he took up the mantle that fell from Elijah. And he went back. His back was towards, was towards the Jordan. He turned back around. He went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Listen, he knew why. He knew why at that moment they went that journey. He knew why God wanted him to see the parting of the Jordan River. Because God wanted Elisha to recognize that that double portion of spirit that he asked for would be on him. And the Bible says in verse 14, he took the man of Elijah that fell from him in the same manner, the same way that he saw Elijah did it. He wrapped it up the same way. He walked over the same way. He did the prophet's walk. He did the prophet's mantle. He struck that water, and in the same fashion, the waters parted hither and thither. And as he did so, as he watered, watched it happen, he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Listen, he became Elijah's successor at that moment of time because the man of God invested his life in him and said, you're going to be the man. Let me say this this morning. We're almost done. Let us take advantage of these wonderful days our church is experiencing. These 20 plus years of seeing faith exercise. God giving us property and buildings and miracles and souls being saved and leaders raised up. 
and all that God is doing. Let us not take for granted when church reassembles next Sunday that it's not going to be church the same, that we're going to have a high standard, that we're going to walk with God. We're going to see more faith exercised, more prayers answered, more men called, more land acquired, more churches started. We're going to take the mantle of God and part some waters and see God do some wonderful things, even beyond everything we've already seen. He picked it up, and the rest of the story, you know, from there, Elisha became Elisha's successor. I want you to see one last thing we're done this morning. We see the paternal father, Shaphat. We see the prophet father, Elijah. Would you notice as we close very quickly, I want you to see the perpetual father, God, our father. He had a given father, he had a great father, but he had God the Father. This morning, if you're saved, you have God the Father. Amen? You have God the Father, your father today. We don't all have the same biological father. We don't all have the same paternal father. But we all have the same heavenly father. And the Bible says in Galatians, as I close... Chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Listen to this. That we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Elisha's name means God is salvation. God is is salvation. What a fitting close. Elisha's father, his perpetual father, was the same father we have. God, our father. God is not your father until you realize you are a sinner. You're going to hell. Christ died for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell. And as he said here, Christ at the appropriate time was sent by our heavenly father to earth to redeem them that were under the law. Redeeming us means Jesus had a payment he had to make to buy us out of sin. And that payment he made was not monetary. The payment he made was not in property. The payment he made was of his very own life. He gave his life for our sins. He became our substitute. He became our sacrifice. He died for us to redeem us out of the law. Why? Because the law cannot save you. The law is not perfect enough to save you from your sins. But Jesus died for you. And Jesus rose from the dead to save you from your sins. And because of that, He redeems us that we might receive the adoption of sons. God brings you and I into his family by way of spiritual adoption. Now when the adoption process is done, that child, the one who's adopted, has all the same rights, all the same, all the, all the same gifts and rights that one who's born in the family has. And when you're adopted into God's family, you are his child. You cannot, God doesn't give you way God does not give you up. You belong to God, and God belongs to you. And when we look at that, 
We can cry from our hearts because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Abba, Father. Abba is an old way of saying Daddy, Daddy. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of closeness. This morning, God is your Father if you're saved. God is your Father, the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's your Heavenly Father. He's a loving Father. He's a forgiving Father. He's a merciful Father. He's a graceful Father. He's a giving Father. He's a patient Father. He's a loving Father. I mean, He's a Father that we don't have enough adjectives and terms to describe how wonderful God is to us, but He is your Father today. And no matter how insecure you may feel, you can come to Him and close the door of that closet and realize you can have an audience with God your Father. And today, if you're not saved, He wants to be your Father. If you're not saved, He wants you to know He becomes your Father through acceptance by faith of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, we've been so encouraged and challenged this morning because we see this man, Elisha. He looked up into the sky. And he said, my Father, my Father, the chariot of God, and the horsemen thereof. He had a paternal father. He had a prophet father. But God gave him, most of all, himself as a perpetual father. Every Christian today, every born-again person here today, should be thankful that God is your father, that he avails himself to you. Make sure you take a moment to thank God he's your heavenly father today. Make sure you take time today to tell your earthly father, happy Father's Day. But today, if you're not saved, we, we encourage you to take Jesus Christ today by faith. Repent of your sins. And on this day, make this the greatest day of your life. Make this your spiritual birthday by calling on Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Let's bow our heads together in prayer.